You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. (laughs) (laughs) You would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. we got to get you updated on everything going on with the minor leagues. How about Jim Callis from MLB.com and MLB Pipeline, Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic, and Bill Moriarty from the A's Farm Report. But we'll start with Jim Callis, who does a great job covering all of the minor leagues. Well, it's great to have Jim back on the program. Jim, how have you been? Uh, good. How are you guys doing? We are doing well as it uh, looks like the Phillies are starting to get it going here down in San Diego. They got two on, two outs, uh, actually two on, nobody out in the second inning. Hey, before we get into anything, A's, I want to ask you some questions that we've noticed this season. Now, obviously, coming out of COVID and you had the alternate site and you had so many minor league players who just did not play Guys that were getting drafted, they didn't have a whole lot of time in college and high school. It's just been a a weird period. And we saw organizations just not stretch guys out. And then you have the lockout this year. But even like the A's at some point, we started stretching our guys out. One organization, and I don't know if you follow this with the Dodgers, they just have not been stretching at the lower level their guys out at all. Like if you start – you're going to get credit for a start, but you're only going two innings at the most three. And now we're watching what they do at the big league level in the playoffs. They pull everybody so early. Uh, what is going on with someone like the Dodgers to where nowhere in their system is anybody giving you any type of innings? Well, I think those are two separate issues. Um, one, you know, and Dodgers maybe do it more extreme. I do think teams have been really cautious with how to handle pitchers coming off the COVID year. Because as you guys know, with young pitchers, you try to build them up. You know, you get them out of high school. You know, if you get them out of high school, they maybe pitch 100 innings their first full season, then 120, then 140. And nobody really pitches many more than 160 in the big leagues now. In college, maybe they start at 120 because they pitch a little bit more. But you try not to add too many innings from one year to the next. And in 2020, nobody pitched. Nobody pitched in the minors. You know, I mean, as you mentioned, teams did the alternate site stuff. That wasn't the same as pitching in like a real game situation. You're facing a lot of the same players. You've coaches playing left field because you don't have enough bodies, catch balls. It, it wasn't the same. So I think teams were very cautious in 2021 and again in 2022. I don't think this is something the Dodgers or other teams are, you know, necessarily going to, you know, have three inning starters you know, forever, but, you know, they have watched their innings very carefully. They've tried to protect their young arms. And then I just think playoff baseball, you know, with the, you know, the game's different than from when I grew up or, or you guys grew up, you know, back when, you know, playoffs, you know, you'd have your guy, you know, guys throwing complete games and, you know, doing things like that. Now it's like you go twice through the order and most pitchers are out of there and it's mix and match. And, you know, there's a bunch of relievers in every game. 
I, I don't think what the Dodgers do in the playoffs is related to what they've done in the minors. So. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because we've just been tracking it. It's like, wow, and then to see it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why watching last night's game, I don't think that's going to happen in today's game. That was watching last night's game with Darvish and Wheeler was refreshing to watch two guys go seven innings, deal, and do their thing. Yeah, I mean, and part of it is, I think, because they were pretty efficient. They What, they give up three hits between them or something like that? Four hits between them? But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it just seems like if you five out of your starter and then it becomes a bullpen game, it, it, a lot of times in the playoffs, it's kind of crazy. How do you think minor leagues has recovered since the pandemic and everything that we've gone through? You know, we've had way less drafts. We've uh, draft choices. There's been a lot of change. There's been reduction in minor leagues teams. Just just how are we in minor league baseball and with what things are going on, how we've recovered from the COVID, from the COVID situation? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think people have gotten used to kind of the day-to-day reality. There's fewer teams. There's fewer players getting drafted. You know, there's four full-season teams. There's one short-season teams. There's limits on players. But I do think what's what's still been tough even two years after COVID is, you know, you're finding that the layoff really affected different players in different ways. And there are some guys who bounced right back from it, whether it's hitters or position players. Then there's other guys who were just out of whack for all of 2021. And, and some of that lingered into 2022. And I do think even with teams trying to be careful with pitchers, you know, having a year where guys didn't pitch, it just feels like, I don't know. I mean, I guess pitching injuries are going up anyway. I just think as guys throw harder, guys get hurt more. But I also think we've had, you know, more pitching injuries than than feels like normal or before we had, you know, the pandemic. I think some of that's related to the layoff. So I think in terms of everybody knowing what they're dealing with and reduced rosters and reduced draft, everybody's used to that. But I still think that even two years later, we're feeling some effects from the pandemic. Yeah, I, I we've talked to a few college coaches when we draft guys, and we'll have the uh, head coaches on, and they, you know, recruiting's been different. Obviously, what's been going on, depending also, also where people live, right? Like obviously, what happened in California and how we dealt with it versus like let's say Texas and Florida and Arizona, you know, hotbeds for where guys and prospects are. People dealt with it, and counties dealt with it differently. School districts dealt with it differently. So there's definitely that effect also. I wonder what that will be like years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe in a couple years we'll kind of get out of that. But you mentioned the college thing. Here's the crazy thing about college. So in 2020, you had guys who would have been juniors, 40-round draft back then, expecting to get drafted. You know, we're probably talking – you know, the draft got cut to five rounds – but, you know, we're probably talking not everybody in the 40-round draft signs, but, but I'd say there are probably, I don't know, 750 to 1,000 college juniors and seniors who would have turned pro that year who didn't get the opportunity. And they came back, and they got another year of eligibility. So you have, if you're a college coach, you know, like you said, you've talked to some of these guys, you, you, you know, you, you have – it's very difficult college recruiting – because guys don't declare for the draft. They just get drafted. Sometimes they sign, sometimes they don't. You're incoming recruits, same thing. So you're kind of like planning who's going to be coming, who's going to be going. And you have all these juniors you thought were going to be leaving who not only don't leave, they come back and they basically have two more years of eligibility. So some of those guys that if you're a college coach, you thought, you know, again, not that you want these kids to go. I mean, they're good players, but you thought we're going to be gone in 2020 and open up scholarships. We're still on your team in 2022. 
And, you know, the scholarships in most places are renewable year to year. But if you have guys who are older players, you know, can play, you're not kicking them off your roster. And then you have incoming recruits you don't have room for. Or if you still get them to come, they don't have playing time. I, I think this will be the first year where they'll be kind of back to normal roster management for college coaches. But, you know, the pandemic, I think, as we've touched on, you know, especially with the pitching, was not a one-year deal. It really affected all levels of baseball for, I think, at least the last three years. Now, for us, obviously, young players. You know, we went through a stretch, three straight years in the playoffs, even the year before when we did make the playoffs, 186 games, we're going for it. And then a complete flip to what we saw last year, 102 losses, going to, whether you want to call it rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, we're in it. And so these young guys now mean more than they ever have in, in recent years for the athletics. So was there anybody that's an A farmhand that stood out for you while you're down there in Arizona? Um, you know, I think Zach Geloff, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm distracted here. I don't know if you guys are watching the game too. Juan Soto just lost the ball in the sun and now it's two nothing Phillies. Hey, but, I uh, can tell you, I'm originally from San Diego and all my buddies, I, they couldn't have been more excited when he showed up. They can't be more furious with him. Uh, the way he hasn't hit, and then, yeah, we just saw it. He missed it in the sun. Juan Soto went from, like, oh, my God, this guy's the greatest. Uh, people in San Diego scratching their heads. Yeah, I, I think he'll be okay in the long run. But get, getting back to your question, I was just – I keep, I have my TV on over here to the right, so I keep turning to the right to see what's going on there. But, uh, but no, Zach Yeloff kind of stood out to me the most. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what surprised me the most about him. He looked pretty good at second base. You know, I think of him as more of a third baseman. Yeah. I played him a lot at second. He looked pretty good at second base when I saw him. I was there for a week. I'll go back for the final week, too. But he was um, he was pretty impressive. I mean, I know he can hit. You know, he's moved real quick in the minors. I remember I actually saw him for the first time in Arizona. We broadcast the MLB4 tournament. I guess it would have been 2019. It was his first game he played in college. I remember watching him in BP thinking I'd never heard of him. The way we split the draft in MLB, I have half the country, but I didn't have Zach Geloff, who's from New Jersey. So I didn't really know much about him. I'm like, man, this guy looks really good in BP. And then he hit three doubles in the game. But no, I think Zach Geloff, you know, I think, you know, the question is, is he a guy who's a solid player versus a guy who's like a cornerstone you build a team around? He might be more of that solid regular than a, you know, true star you build around. But he, he looked really good in Arizona. Um, I mean, it's always an offensive league out there. The, I think the pitching's actually – it was pretty bad last year. And it might even be a little worse this year. I think, again, it's kind of related to the pandemic in terms of teams don't send pitchers who, got, who hit their innings limits during the season. And the innings limits are lower still related to the pandemic. So you have fewer top-notch pitchers go out there. The age are kind of an exception. I saw Mason Miller throw really hard. Um, he didn't make it past – he didn't make it out of the second inning in the start. I saw Mason Miller hit 100 repeatedly. Um, uh, you know, I'd seen him at the combine. He was a guy I was familiar with from the draft. Um, JT Ginn looks a lot different than I remember seeing him as an amateur before the Tommy John surgery. He used to be kind of a four seam mid 90s guy, and now he's kind of a more of a low 90s sinker slider guy. Still has a slinker, maybe not quite as powerful as it used to be. Um, I didn't see Ryan Cusick. I know he. It's it's weird. He's he's not giving up any runs. And I think the league ERA is over six down there. Um, but he's also not striking out a lot of guys and not throwing a lot of strikes. But I didn't get to see him personally to tell you what his stuff looks like down there. What do you need to see? We can be generic on this. Yeah. 
What do you need to see down there that you feel actually translates when you can really say, okay, I see that, that will play at the big league level? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, like I said, I mean, the, the just the environment and just the, the the talent down there, it's really slanted in favor of the hitters. So I don't, I don't even really look at performance um, as to more – like not so much the numbers matter, but like how a guy gets to those numbers, you know, in terms of both hitter and pitcher, you know, is he controlling the strike zone? Are the, are the hitters chasing? Cause you can put up big, you can have guys who strike out 35% of the time. who are still going to put up big numbers down there because ball flies, but you know, are they controlling the strike zone or are, are pitchers commanding the ball and then just kind of ease operation? Like, I mean, you know, you can swing for the fences and, and probably slug five fifty pretty easily down there just you're going to run into some balls and the ball flies but um it's so it's more i think how guys do it than what they're actually doing if that makes sense um you know and i mean look over the years this is the 30th year of the league they've sent more than i think i don't know the exact numbers more than three thousand players to the big leagues it's a crazy number yeah more than 60 percent of the guys down there play in the big leagues and you'll see guys who are in the league now who will be in the big leagues next year. Like I haven't done a real deep dive into playoff rosters, but I know Bryson Stott. We saw Bryson Stott in the fall league last year and he looked really good. And now he's playing. I guess he's already hit today. Um, but uh, he's playing for the Phillies in the NLCS. I remember you know, your Cody Bellinger set the national league record for home runs for by rookie. Cody Bellinger was in the fall league the league before. Um, so you will see players who are in the fall league. Like, it's not just you're seeing future big leaguers. You're seeing guys who will be in the big leagues next year making an impact. You know, like Brendan Donovan for the Cardinals. The Cardinals had a bunch of guys. Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman all played in the big – Andre Pallante. There's four guys off the top of my head who are part of a playoff team um, who were all in the fall league last year. Um, so that's that's kind of the fun part of it. You'll, you'll see a lot of these guys pretty quick. And you get to go to Arizona. It's not like you got to go to the middle of nowhere where <laughs> some of these things in other sports are. You know, it's, it's almost 46 like- right now in Chicago. It's 46 <laughs> right now in Chicago. So believe me, I will not be upset when I have to go back to Arizona. <laughs> it's like my NBA buddies that go, you know what? The summer league in Vegas, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal whatsoever. Uh, did you get a chance to see Lawrence Butler or Denzel Clark while you're down there? You know, I, I, I don't think I saw them play. Like, it's it's weird, too, because the way they have these large rosters and not everybody plays every day. Yeah. If I did, I saw them play once. And they didn't make an impression. I mean, they're both interesting guys. I mean, Butler was hurt, but I think he's one of the better – hurt this year. But he's one of the better hitter, better young hitters in the A system. I think he's got a chance to hit for some power and average. And, and Clark's, like, great athlete, you know, got Olympic relatives. He's cousin of the Naylor brothers in Cleveland. Um, he looked great at the combine when I saw him last year. Um, a guy who who just needs more reps, but he's he's. I'm trying to think. He might be the best athlete in the A's system. I'm trying to think if there's anybody better. But no, it's like I will. I was down there for six days and I saw nine or ten games, but I was just kind of bouncing around. And it feels like if I saw those guys, I just saw him play once. I feel like I saw Geloff play two or three times. You know, we always like to look at the rankings, right? We'll see our top thirty on MLB.com, and everybody's ranking their – how much should we at this point pay attention to that? How much does that really matter? Whether someone ranks us, are you 28th? Are you 17th? I mean, I've always looked at Houston's. Uh, they don't have the yep. strongest ratings, but they just keep bringing up guys that keep beating us. Yeah, well, I mean, Houston has four 
pitchers in their starting rotation were signed internationally, I think for less than 150,000 combined. They aren't even arbitration eligible and they're all good. And I do our Astros list and I joke with those guys about all time. Like when the rankings come out, the, the, the farm system rankings are probably the least meaningful rankings. I always joke that the one prospects are like kids. Everybody loves their kids more than anybody else does. <laughs> and then my other joke is, that when you do farm system rankings, one team's like, man, you got it just right. You got us right. And 29 and other teams are like, hey, you ranked us too low. And then whenever we do the farm system rankings, and like, like they're not mean about it. And, and they and deservedly so. But the Astros always be like, hey, are we going to rank 30th again? How's the third? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. And you guys are in the ALCS for the sixth year in a row. And But like, it's weird. But like at the same time. Like those rankings are the hardest rankings to do because you think about it, you're, each farm system has like 200 players at different levels. And you're saying, okay, who has the best talent? Like looking at 200 players at a time in 30 different organizations. And while it's an impossible task at the same time, I do think ownership on a lot of teams looks at that. And I've heard, I feel bad when like I hear from somebody who's like, well, you know, you ranked us 24th and the owner came down and asked what we're doing. But I don't, I mean, we do them because fans love them. You know, we did them at baseball America. I don't think farm system rankings matter that much, to be honest with you. I mean, the other thing I'd say about them too, I think you can, we can identify, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I can identify three, four, five systems that are like the top systems. And I can identify three, four, five systems that are the bottom systems. And then the other 20 or so systems, you could try divide into two halves, but like, to be able to say with pinpoint accuracy, this team's the fifth best farm system. This team's the 10th. Nobody's that good. Like if we were that good, I'd be making millions of dollars working for a team. If I, if I could pinpoint it that accurately. So, I mean, I think it gives you a rough idea, but that's really what it is more than anything. It's a rough idea where your system ranks. It's not precise by any means. Well, everybody loves their kids, but you may favor one over the other sometimes. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> I have four kids. I guess I shouldn't say that, but they're all adults now. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have twins, so they're, they're identical. So it's like the, almost the same kid in a lot of ways. Uh, let's end on this. How do you view the strength of where the A system is and how close do you think really think some of these guys are at uh, helping us at the big league level? Yeah, I mean, I, I, still, I still think it's a couple years away. I mean – you know, it's tough for the A's. I mean, with the stadium situation, they don't spend on payroll. Like you were saying, you know, they'll have these cycles where they'll go to the playoffs for two or three years. And then they kind of have to, like we saw this offseason, decide, okay, we can't afford these guys anymore. We got to trade them away and then build it back up. You know, the, the tricky thing for them has been a lot of their best prospects through the years have come via trades. It's not like they, they I mean, and it's hard to crush it in the draft every year, but I'd say they're kind of, ordinary draft results so like when they make trades they really need to hit on guys i mean we we saw ken waldachuk get there this year um i like ken waldachuk i think he's a little unheralded i think tyler Sauter, like shea langleers got there this year i really like shea langleers i think having shea langleers makes it easier to let tyler soderstrom do what he does best which is hit and it's always tough when you have a really offensive-minded catcher like tyler was where if you catch him it detracts from his hitting because of the time you have to devote to catching and then the physical toll. So I think they're going to get more out of Tyler Soderstrom's bat. You know, I think the big question for the A's is I don't think their system's particularly deep. Um, and you don't have 
you know, Tyler Soderstrom's a good prospect. Shea Langliers is a good prospect. Ken Walchuk's a good prospect, but you don't have that, you know, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, Francisco Alvarez, Anthony Volpe, you know, top, top of the top 100 prospect where you're like, okay, we're going to build around that guy. You have some pieces where you're like, okay, these guys can be part of a winning team, but I don't know if you really have like that superstar nucleus of that, that winning team in place. So I think they're still going to be in search of that. You know, I mean, they picked 18th this year and they got 18th or 19th. They got Daniel Susak and I like Daniel Susak, but when you're picking 18th or 19th, you're not getting that elite, elite guy at the top of the draft. And like, I guess we won't know until the winter meetings where they're going to pick next year. Cause I'm trying to think I'm looking here at the standings. What they have the second worst second record. Worst baseball, record. We got six, but there's a draft lottery. Yeah, 60.5% so chance. Yeah, but so I, I think I don't think they can pick any lower than eighth, but um, so they'll be in position. They should get a pretty good player next year. But that, but I think that's the biggest challenge right now is they have some good players. I don't know if they have any great players in their farm system. So Julio Rodriguez is not walking through that door for us. No, they don't have a Julio Rodriguez or a Bobby <laughs> Wood Jr. or an Adley Rutschman yeah. hiding out. But like next year, I mean. Let's say they get to pick at the top. You, you'll get a Dylan Cruz from LSU. He's an outfielder. Or Chase Dollander from Tennessee is a right-hander. You know, if I mean, it would stink if you're an A's fan if they don't if they do poorly in the lottery. Um, you know, they could wind up with the number one pick. They could wind up with the number eight pick. But we'll have to see. But at least they'll be in position. There's a good chance whoever they draft with their first round pick next year will probably could very well be the best prospect in their system. Hey, well, we got the draft right. We drafted the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. We got that right. You, you know what, though? I, I I don't blame them for that pick. I, I think they take more grief for that pick than they deserve. We have I, fun I, with I, it. Because here's why. I'm not saying he would have been this guy, but people love – Kyler Murray had not played baseball much going into his draft year. He had played a little bit the year before. He went to the Cape Cod League. And he, he like, as he started to play, leaps and bounds – I'm not saying he would have been this guy. I had a, I had a scout with another team that thought about taking him in the first round. And they picked a couple picks behind the A's, compared him to Ricky Henderson. He thought he could be a Ricky. And now I'm not saying he would have been Ricky Henderson, but the guy, like I heard Andrew McCutcheon, super, super talented player. And what people don't remember was when they drafted Kyler, Kyler had only played a couple games at AM. He'd sat on the bench at Oklahoma, I think behind Baker Mayfield. Correct. And he was small. And nobody was talking about him as an NFL quarterback. People were like, He'll probably be pretty good in that Lincoln Riley offense there at Oklahoma. But nobody was talking about him at draft time. Like, Oh, you're going to lose this guy, the NFL draft. Like there was concern because he out of high school, he pulled himself out of the baseball draft. Football was clearly his first love, but realistically looking at it, it was like, this guy could be a star in baseball and he's too small. Like, like NFL guys, nobody was talking about him going into that season. So I don't, I don't blame the A's. I, I do think it was crazy at the winter meetings that year, which I think were in San Diego, but I don't remember right. Scott Boris telling everybody, oh, no, he's going to go to spring training. And I was listening to that thinking, the Kyler Murray, not that I know him well, but that I remember covering him when he was in high school, loves football. He's about to win the Heisman Trophy. He's going to get it. No, I didn't know he was going to go number one in the NFL draft. Yeah. He was going to go in the first round. That guy's gone because he loves football. And, and Boris was telling everybody at the winter meetings, oh, no, he'll be in spring training. At that point, he was gone. But I, I really – maybe I'm in the minority, but I think they took a chance at a guy who could have been a, a transcendent talent possibly. And at the time, nobody thought he was going to NFL because they're like he's too small. 
Oh, I remember when we drafted him, and I'm the one that interviews all the draft picks, and he and I are standing eye to eye, and I'm like, how does this guy play quarterback? And then at the same time, I was also working for the Oakland Raiders, so we played him a couple times, and it is it is amazing the success he has had at his size. When you got they don't light- square him up. When you got nobody ever hit, nobody ever squares him up. He he just doesn't get hit. I know, and he and he has trouble, but he has trouble seeing the field. It's amazing because yeah. his linemen are six five, six six. He's my size five ten. I mean, it, it's unreal. But uh, hey, always appreciate your time. We'll let you get back to this game. Means a lot that you stop by during this game. So we truly appreciate it. You're the best at what you do. Keep doing it, and we'll be following it. Obviously. Well, thanks for all the kind words, and it's four to one. I, I've missed some action here. I'll get back to that, but uh, always good talking to you, and uh, take care, guys. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Yeah, Jim Callis, uh, uh, he is the best covering the minor leagues. Well, we got some of the A's view, and we're taking a look at, uh, you know, a lot of the different systems. Now let's look at the A's system with Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. Uh, Melissa's here, by the way, so I can add it to the stream. Well, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I am doing well. We're just, we're kind of um, in a weird kind of almost like football Super Bowl week where we're waiting for the big one to happen. We're not used to this many days off. It's just, it's just awkward. It's a lot of wait, waiting for Godot, but baseball stuff. Well, and, and the thing too is, is we just, we just don't know how these teams will react. There's no way to, you know, we've seen. Teams clinch early, teams wait, weather issues, but both teams. That's why I say it's kind of like how we see with the Super Bowl where there's two weeks. I'm not saying it's the exact same, but to have this many days off for both these teams, we don't know how it's going to affect them. Yeah, you know, it's think back to the 89 World Series and that huge break after the earthquake. That might be the only time you can really – sort of have a similar I mean, obviously the circumstances around that break were different, but both teams had to basically be idle uh, for a full week or 10 days, I think it was, um, and then came back and could really reset their pitching staffs however they wanted. I mean, I think that's that's the rarest part of all of this is that usually you have one team that's pitching staff that's completely blown up by the time they get to the World Series because they had to use their guy in game seven and all this sort of thing. And, you know, these staffs can set up any way they want to, which is pretty remarkable. You know, we always look at everything through the A's lenses. So when we look at this and we look at the postseason and you go, huh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should think about that. So if you put on your A's glasses and you look at this postseason, is there anything that you say philosophy, style or anything that the A's should be looking at? Yeah, they should totally sign Brett Har- uh, Bryce Harper and Justin Verlander. I think that would Bingo. probably be Hey, Verlander, you can get Verlander. You can't get Harper. You can get Verlander. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I think it's very interesting because so these teams are so different in how they're built and so different in how they've come together as both organizations and rosters that I think there probably isn't a lot to learn from uh, the perspective of how are you going to build a team just kind of globally because they are so different. I think it's it's actually a good lesson in the fact that there isn't one way to build a baseball team. And I think we forget that a lot. Um, And that, you know, different styles are still um, possible in baseball and actually are, you know, one of the strengths of baseball is that you can do it a lot of different ways. And so I think that should give you some hope though, because obviously it's a big mountain to climb to try to build up what the Astros have built. 
But it's also a big climb to look at like, you know, a team like the Phillies that signs all these big free agents when you're a team that doesn't sign free agents so that, you know, you know that you can see different ways of doing this um, should give hope to all the different teams that there's ways to get it done. Not to say that anybody doesn't use metrics and anybody doesn't like data. Everybody's using data, but the difference between these two organizations is Dave Dombrowski does not run his franchise like the Houston Astros or the Dodgers or the A's or the Yankees. Dombrowski's more an old-school baseball type. Yeah, you know, and, and he's done it with four different franchises. I mean, the rarity of going to a, a World Series with more than one franchise is, you know, pretty remarkable. To do it with four different teams and in really the same era almost, you know, you're, I mean, you're looking like Justin Verlander's career. He spans pretty much just the same career. So um, I, I think it's, it is remarkable. I think he has a real knack for seeing when a team is close and knowing the move to make to get them over a hump. Um, and trusting that superstars can do what superstars can do. Um, and, you know, maybe we've seen some other franchises, even really the Yankees sometimes shy away from that idea that a superstar can still be a superstar and get it done. I mean, um, you know, the fact they've gotten to this point and haven't signed Aaron Judge to a lifetime contract yet is a little bit of an indictment of that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think his style still works and you've got to have an owner that's willing to pay it. Um, you've got to have an owner that's willing to trust that, you know, you may get one or two really great years and then you're going to have to build out of a hole after that. But those one or two great years are really worth it. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I think the variety of styles that you see in baseball are important to still have. If everybody was like the Astros or everybody was like the Dodgers and there was no variety, I think it'd be pretty boring. So looking at the we'll get back to this a, a little bit later. I want to get into your article about the athletics and looking at the infield and, you know, you know. Give us what you think if we say, okay, fast forward, we're heading to spring training. How do you envision, we have no idea what moves they're going to make, what signings they're going to make, winter meetings, after the winter meetings. I'm assuming a lot of signings and stuff will be done after the winter meetings. That's a different pond that the A's will fish, fish in. But until we know that information, what we have now, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty murky, you know. It's it's not a clear pond, um, you know. I think they 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 do not have a lot of guys that have said I am the guy at this position based on how they played last year. I think that's one of you know the disappointing things about the first year of the rebuild was that there weren't a lot of kind of foundation blocks put in that you could say, okay, this is for sure a corner here. I mean, beyond the catching position, which I think, you know, there's, there's a couple of different foundation pieces there, but um, you know, the infield is, is in flux. I, I think, uh, you know, Nick Allen, the way that he played defensively, especially the last six weeks of the season, you sort of saw sparks offensively. It wasn't consistent, but you could see what he could do when he was kind of feeling comfortable there. I think he's probably the closest to being able to say, okay, he's your starter. Um, without any competition, but I don't know that they'll have anybody come in with no competition. Um, you know, Tony Kemp and, and, and Seth Brown certainly factor into that infield uh, equation, but they'll still get a lot of reps in the outfield, I imagine. And, you know, the real question is, you know, what to make of Kevin Smith and the fact that in Las Vegas in September, you know, the dude was basically Babe Ruth out there. And, um, you know, if he can hit it all as good as, as defensively as Nick Allen was, you know, Kevin Smith was very quietly also around that level of, good, of defensive abilities. So um, to have two of them on the left side of the infield there in a league without shifts, 
if both of them can get back to where you would have expected them to hit, like based on their minor league track records, you know, you've got the start of something there, but I think there's still a lot that needs to get worked out. And I'd be very surprised if the infielders they currently have on the 40 grand roster are the only infielders they still have when they get to opening day. Yeah, Kevin Smith got to meet him in spring training. That's where we found out as a kid the all-star team was green and gold, so he loved the colors. His parents loved the colors. I mean, it was this, you know, hey, this could be a great story. The guy's a shortstop. He's been moved to third, so obviously good feet, good hands, uh, and then just didn't hit. And then he went down to AAA and really didn't hit. And you got worried, like, what's wrong with him? What I mean, how does a guy drop off the way that he did? And then, as you mentioned, in the last month, I got to do the minor league report every day for the broadcast. I kept saying, man, is this like a, a misprint? I thought he was three for four with a two-run shot yesterday. It's like every day. Every day he's hitting home, either a home run, multiple home runs, multiple hits. I just, at this point, what do we believe? I mean, obviously they have to give him a chance because he's a part of the Matt Chapman trade, but what are we to believe about him? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think if you look at his track record in the minor leagues and if you talk to some of his coaches, you know, back when he was in the Toronto system, there was a tendency, I think, sometimes for him to get into his head a little bit. Um, I think he's a really smart guy and perhaps sometimes tends to overthink a little bit. And so when he got into slumps, maybe it was harder for him to get out. I think you saw there was a real variation between his first minor league season and his second one um, and not being able to get out of that slump in double A. Then he came back after the pandemic and had a huge year that led into the trade. So, you know, it may have been a, a matter of just mentally needing to get right again. Uh, you know, I think the talent has been there since dating back to when he was in Maryland in college. Um, he's, you know, he's got above average power for the position that he plays. You know, he's a good athlete. He may not ever hit for a high average, but he should make a decent amount of contact just based on, you know, the, the talent that's there. So, you know, if he can find a mental approach, maybe that allows him to absorb those slumps a little bit easier, um, you know, perhaps there's, there's a way to, to get out of that, but I think he hit 11 home runs in 25 games. And I know that's a ridiculous league, but that's a ridiculous number of home yeah. runs too. So, um, you know, I think that's, uh, it, it's certainly something they should explore whether or not he was in the Matt Chapman trade. I think that's worth giving him a very long look in spring training. And there were talks about how at, I mean, at the beginning of the year, how he could spell Elvis at short. So there was yeah, some no, thoughts he, that he could play shortstop. He's a good defender, and he graded out really well in advanced, you know, defensive metrics at all the positions he played for the A's. You know, he was um, so bad offensively that he was still a net negative in terms of, you know, player worth, but it, it was close. And when you look at how bad he was offensively, that that's saying something. Um, you know, you, you look at Nick Allen and the fact that he was still a net positive to where he was offensively gives you a good sense of how good he was defensively. But, um, you know, Kevin Smith was in that ballpark. And so that is, that is saying a lot. He is very versatile. He can play second base if you need him to also. Um, so there, there is no reason not to give him another ch chance next year for sure. All right. I'm going to give you one of the young guys. You can only pick one. So you got to buy a stock and you're buying one of these young guys that you've listed in the article. Just not to be a contributor. I'm talking about a guy to come up and play and forcing his way in the lineup, getting a ton of at-bats. If you could only buy one guy, which guy are you buying? For next year or his whole career? Next year. <laughs> next year. 
I would say Zach Geloff then, uh, because wow. I do think, um, you know, he's a guy that's probably going to get there first. Um, you know, I think Tyler Soderstrom is going to get there uh, not too long after Zach, but I think Zach's going to be be there before uh, Tyler is. Um, everyone who just sees and play, even if the numbers aren't, you know, kind of jumping off a page at any particular point, people who watch him play come away impressed. You know, he does everything really well. He's such a good athlete. He's got great power. He's got great baseball instincts. You know, he's got a really good energy on the field. You know, teammates kind of are drawn to him. Um, he's just the sort of player that I think, you know, people look at and say, you know, this guy's a winner and he's going to be a big part of a, a, a winning team for a long time. Um, you know, he came back from a pretty rough injury and still performed really well down the stretch. He's playing well in the fall league right now. Um, so I, I think he's somebody who comes up and makes a difference at some point, uh, you know, next season. And then, you know, I think Tyler will also come up and establish himself. I, he may take a little bit longer just given that he's younger, but I think he'll, he'll be a guy that, you know, he's going to be that 30, 35 home run guy every year. That's huge. 35 home run guy. I mean, that's, I mean, you know what the, the A's need, you know, when you mentioned that, okay, we're not going to go out and buy Verlander. The reality is we need these guys to work. And at some point they got to get here pretty quick. Yeah. And, you know, the other guy that I think doesn't get a lot of press outside of, um, you know, people that follow the A's closely is uh, Lawrence Butler. And, uh, you know, he's really, I think, opened a lot of eyes at the Fall League because I think there weren't a lot of people outside the A's organization that were paying attention to him. I think they've got to figure out a way to, you know, a home for him defensively. He's not that level of outfielder yet that you could just throw him out there. Um, better first baseman than outfield, but his, you know, speed would work better in the outfield, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, here's a guy that he takes a lot of walks. He hits for power. He's going to steal 20 bases. You know, it, it, it's a fun, it's like almost a, I don't want to overstate it because Olsen was, um, you know, a little bit better at working the, with the walk, but there's similar skill sets there, except he can run, which is, you know, kind of a, a pretty cool package to put together. You know, they're from a similar part of the country as well, high school draft picks. And, you know, if Butler hadn't had the first two pro seasons where he had struggled, I think you'd be hearing a lot about him. People maybe made up their mind a little too early, um, but, you know, he's a really exciting young player as well. Yeah. How important is it for the A's to get more athletic? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's in the name, so <laughs> they got to do it. Um, but no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, again, you're looking at the the shifts and the fact that that will be different next year, having really athletic infielders is going to be a big bonus. And, you know, even looking, there was an interesting stat that Tony Kemp led the league in sliding plays, you know, this year. And, and I know that's sort of like a weird arcane sort of stat, but like, you're going to need guys that can do that sort of thing that can't just be positioned in a particular spot to make an easy play on a ground ball. And at the very least, they've got those kind of guys both on the 40 man roster now and coming in a lot of different spots, um, which should help the pitching staff and it needs a lot of help. So I think that's a good thing. Well, I, th th that does not shock me because Tony Kemp leaves his feet on just about every play. can be a routine fly ball in left field, and he's <laughs> diving for it. I mean, this guy does not play from his feet. I've never – have you ever seen anybody leave their feet more than Tony Kemp, whether it's infield or outfield? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like, at, at second base, it really works. It's almost like maybe he needs to have a different, like, mindset in left field. I don't know if he needs to leave him quite as much. But, um, I mean – you know, his body control when he's 
in the air is, is very rare, I think, for a baseball player um, to be able to, to kind of contort himself the way he is able to do that. So it's fun. At the very least, it's, it's one of the more entertaining aspects of watching the A's play. You know, one of the things about watching what we're watching here with the World Series and what could the A's learn or what could they do better with, one is international signings. That is yeah. one thing that Houston has been very good at, and they've done it with very limited money. They're not out there throwing these huge bonuses. Now, I guess things have changed, but back in the day, they carpet bombed. They just went and paid for a lot of different guys where it was like 100000 and below, gave it to a bunch of guys and just bet that a couple of them would work out, and that's what happened. They didn't throw all their eggs in one basket or a couple baskets. So uh, you look at the Astros – international signings have been a big part of how they've built their roster. Like I'm looking at, at your article and we look around and, you know, Robert Poisson was a name we used to see. We don't really see that name anymore. That's 5.1 million Robert Poisson. That's one thing for the A's is we don't have a whole lot of uh, international signings that we can look forward to. Yeah, no, it's, it's, definitely been a weakness and um you know i think jordan diaz is who is in that article and i think is you know one of the players that at least from a hitting standpoint is, is one of the really bright prospects from uh the ace perspective is is probably the brightest light from that group right now um you know i think they've got some pitching that they really like and you know there's a few things that that are kind of around the the bend but their big signings haven't really panned out for the most part and and then that's hurt because they're big financial investments you're right that you know, and the way that the pool works now, that's basically, you know, the majority of the money that's going out in any particular year. And, um, you know, they do need to start getting those guys to click better. Um, I, I don't know the solution to that. Um, you know, I, I know they've they've had good scouts there. So it's 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 just for whatever reason, the development has stalled out. So um, it is something that definitely needs to get fixed. That might be one of those. And I hate to use the word luck. Because I think people will just say, ah, oh, that's luck. That's what losers say. Losers say it's a crapshoot. Losers say it's luck. But there has to be, there. there is kind of something to it when these kids down there aren't playing in games. You're basically looking at kids at a very young age, 15, 16 years old. You're banking that they're going to get bigger. They're going to put up, they're going to put on more weight. They're going to get stronger. Some kids are going to grow into their bodies. I mean, you're making big money decisions on guys that are not even old enough to get a driver's license yet. I, I, so I, I, I tend to think there is some real luck with these international signings, even to this day. And that's probably my probably why more than ever we we need the draft to be also international. Yeah, it's such a difficult question too because it's so much of it is. The, you know, a lot of these players are exploited at a young age, you know, the money's not even going to them in, in some respects. Um, I think we need to be sensitive to the idea that that drafts in general are not necessarily good for players. You know, I mean, players lose a lot of leverage in that respect. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of corruption that maybe could be cleaned up in a draft. Um, the question is whether Major League Baseball would really invest in if they built an international draft, cleaning up the corruption that goes around that 
area or if they would sort of overlook it while it was still feeding itself into that same system. And um, I, I, I don't know that we know and I don't know that we can talk. So I think that's why you didn't see an agreement on it during this last CBA negotiating thing, because there's so much distrust as to what actually would get done there. There does need to be a better system than what's going on there right now. And it needs to be a system where the kids themselves are getting more of the money that they're getting, you know, that the, the trainers are not having as much influence on where people go and who gets seen when, and who gets taken out of, you know, some of these kids get essentially signed at 12 years old and then don't get seen again. And then teams can renege on those contracts when they're 16. And all of a sudden they've had four years where no one else has seen them play and their whole dreams are, I mean, there's some really horrible stories. So, um, you know, there's a lot that needs to get fixed. And it's probably not as simple as just saying, let's put the U.S. amateur draft onto the international because there is such a variance between what goes on in the Dominican Republic versus Colombia versus Venezuela and so forth. But I do think um, some other system, you know, needs to happen. Totally agree. And, you know, I know if uh, if the players don't worry about it, if you have a phone ring and don't worry about it. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Political <laughs> calls. Is, is it November 9th yet? <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that amazing? If you've had a cell phone for a long time, isn't it amazing how many text and like our phone numbers have been sold over and over and over and over again? Like it's like. I'm scared to even look at my phone because I'm thinking it's my wife, it's my kids, it's a buddy. No, every single thing is about this political race that's coming up here in November. Well, and you know, I already voted and I feel like there should be a life filter that just says <laughs> I voted and therefore no one should contact me again. I shouldn't have to watch the commercials, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a button that should be able to get pushed. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that would be great. You know, the thing that, and I don't, I don't want this to sound horrible. It is going to sound horrible, but baseball teams' jobs are to get baseball players to perform for them. And I understand the international side. It's corrupt. It's dirty. Uh, I know this, that if one of these kids signs with an agent, the agent for sure is going to get his cut. We know that for sure. And agents who are running a lot of negotiations, uh, they don't want to see – they don't want to see that, and I hate to use Robert Poisson, but they don't want to see the Robert Poisson signing for $5.1 million go away because they're getting that percentage of it. So, yes, there's a lot of dirty stuff, but in the end for baseball teams, the tough thing is, hey, my job is to find players to come into my organization to help me win. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I think – the, the tough thing is, like, if you look at Puerto Rico, for instance, you know, they weren't part of the draft for a long time. And then they got included into the, the you know, sort of um, U.S. amateur draft, if you want to call it that, domestic amateur draft. And um, it, baseball, the interest in baseball from an amateur level in Puerto Rico has plummeted since they got into it because there's less money for these sort of nefarious people to make and kind of bringing these people in. So, you know, there's also that side of it is if you're trying to get the best talent from the islands to come to you or from Venezuela to come to your league, if you put a draft on it, do you start losing that to soccer like you did in Puerto Rico or basketball, you know? Um, it's so complicated and I am far from an expert on it. Um, yeah, I, I, do, I, I do know though that um, it, it does need to change. And I do absolutely know that the A's for sure need to do a better job. I mean, 
you know, you look back at those early 2000s teams, they wouldn't have been anywhere if it wasn't for, you know, the players that they got from their international program, from Miguel, Miguel Tejada, Ramon Hernandez, Angel Barroa, all these players that they were able to kind of either use as foundations for their team or trade for pieces that they needed to get to those levels. And, um, you know, that element has really been missing for the last 15 years or so. What are your uh, expectations for next season? And once again, we have no idea what the team's going to – we we really don't know what the team's going to look like. I mean, anything could, could happen. But what are your expectations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I don't think they're going to compete for a title, you know. I mean, I think it's – it's they're still several years off from that. But I, I do think it will look more stable. I do think it will look more competitive. I think you'll be able to – look at a team that looks like a cohesive team as opposed to a bunch of moving parts that were sort of coming in and out and no like real plan that looked like it was in place. I think, you know, obviously the trades that were made were going to be devastating regardless of when they made them, but to have to make them in like a four day period, like they did meant that they were scrambling for any sense of identity at the start of spring training. They didn't necessarily have, you know, three months to sort of okay, we're going to trade this guy, then we're going to bring in this guy, then we're going to kind of move around and, and and patch things together the way that you normally would have seen these rebuilds done, like, say, before the 2005 season or, say, before the 2015 season or 2012 season. And I think that's what you miss this year was the sort of cohesive sense of this is what we're building towards. There just wasn't that. And I do think you will see that this year. I think you'll start to see the outlines of what makes sense as the next generation of what this team will look like. I think you'll start to see some young players come up and actually produce. Um, and, and I think that will be encouraging. But, I, you know, you look at the, a division with Houston still going to be very, very good next year. Seattle's still going to be very, very good next year. Who knows what the Angels are going to do? And now you've got the Rangers, you know, looking to to make a big cut. You know, I, I think it's going to be a little while before you start to look at them as like, you know, leading the division in any sense. But um, it should look a lot more like a team than I think it did at times this year. Well, I'll tell you, uh, seeing on Twitter kind of what you just said right there, you had a really condensed version on that on Twitter and a fan comes out. Well, why can't the A's buy that? You make a great point. Like there wasn't a lot of time. You had to make decisions that were really fast. People need to understand that other teams are trying to sign players. Other teams are trying to make trades. People just need to understand that when the lockout ended, you didn't have a lot of time to really build a team with identity. And I know that I saw you on Twitter with one person, and you're trying to explain yourself, but it's just so hard to explain how complicated it was in a tweet. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing, too, is if you look at the timing of the lockout, you know, what happened right before the lockout were the big free agent signings, right? There were a whole bunch of big free, and that was the focus of almost every team. And so trades just didn't happen. And what the A's were going to be focused on was going to be trades. And so a lot of that had to wait. And, you know, I know there's this sense that, oh, teams were talking on the side. And I'm sure there was, you know, some communications between front offices. But ultimately, those trades had to happen with a lot less information about the players that were coming back and forth than you would have seen before. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's um, kind of what, there was just no cohesiveness at all to how everything started, you know, and, um, and then you had a COVID outbreak two weeks into the season. And then all of a sudden you're using like a 57 man roster, which is kind of what, what, what ended up happening, you know, as well. And I think that just set the whole season down in a very weird path. So, 
um, again, not to excuse anything. I don't think anyone's going to look at this season and say, this is a point on anybody who worked in the front office's resume that they want to brag about. <laughs> I mean, it didn't go how they wanted it to go. But, you know, that being said, I don't think the circumstances made it easy for them to do what they were trying to do. There was no threading the needle that was really possible, I think, this this offseason. Well, the great thing about our front office is the fact that they're so secure with themselves. They let us know. I mean, they said this is this is going to be a rough year. Uh, we've kind of, you know, it is what it is. They got one arm tied behind their back. So uh, that's one thing I've always appreciated about David Force and I've always appreciated about Billy Bean is their honesty. And they let us know. They let us know this upcoming year is going to be – it should be better, but it, like you said, it's not going to be championship caliber. They're just being honest where a lot of people would BS you. That's the great thing about our front office. They won't. Let's end on this. All right. You got Phillies, major it factor team, Astros, no doubt, or a powerhouse. Who you like and why? I think the Astros take it. Um, I think their pitching from top to bottom is just – so much deeper. Um, you know, they're throwing starters out of their bullpen that can go six innings if you needed them to all of a sudden. Um, they've got that kind of championship um, medal. You know, they've been there before. They were there last year. They didn't get it done, but, you know, there's there. And I, I, I kind of feel like it's Dusty's year. You know, <laughs> the guy's been so close for so long. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly never someone who would root for the Astros, but I, I root for Dusty. So um, I think this is his year. All righty, great work as always in The Athletic. I'm telling you, everybody, if you love baseball, football, basketball, you name it, uh, soccer, they do an unbelievable job, college football, you name the sport. Athletic is the best sports journalism going right now. The article is Oakland, Oakland A's offseason outlook, Nick Allen, Seth Brown, and the infield depth chart I'm, I'm assuming that you're going to be doing more of these articles as we start getting into later into the fall and into the winter yeah we'll, we'll have outfield coming catchers and then your starters in your bullpen so we'll, we'll get it all knocked out in the next couple of weeks i don't even know how you're going to do catchers that might be like a book i mean how i mean uh, seriously I, I, mean, I should just do catchers and walk away right <laughs> I, I mean it may it may take you two years to write a thing on how many catchers we got <laughs> I'm just going to call it Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Fossey's dream organization. 2023. Great stuff. And we'll check in soon. Enjoy the world series. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Melissa Lockhart. That's funny. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too. With the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Melissa does such a great job, and so does Bill Moriarty, who does you know, a great podcast for us here on A's cast. It's always great to hear his insight on the future of the Oakland athletics. Here's bill. If I go to A's farm, that's athleticsfarm.com and all the articles on there and everything on there are just, you know, they're like half written and anytime everything's just, he, he only does like half the article and it's just gone. He only shows up for half the article. I'm not going to A's Farm. Bill, I'm not going to A's Farm if you're only pitching five innings. I need you to do the entire – I need you to do the job. Is there something wrong with that? 
no, no fine. For, fortunately, you don't have to worry about that with A's Farm, so that's good. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, we were used to watching pitchers pitch, you know, like real pitchers, pitch full games. And, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, there were guys like Mickey Lolich and Wilbur Wood who were throwing 300 uh, innings a season. Now, I mean, uh, it's rare that you even get guys getting 200 uh, innings a season. So it's a, it's a whole different game. And, yeah, we've definitely lost that the appeal of that really marquee starting pitcher that, you know, is really going to dominate the game. It's just, it's just not, not the same anymore. But I'm going to take it a step further because already people are going, oh, look at, look, look at the get off my lawn Clint Eastwood guys. <laughs> I'm going to take it a step further. What has happened is it's basically like instead of going to Home Depot, these, te- these teams go to Arms Depot and they find a bunch of random, no name, like this Robert Suarez guy that you're going to hear a lot about tonight on the broadcast, uh, was a big deal in game two. He's 31 years old. He's playing for the Padres. Uh, Venezuela to Mexico to Japan and signed with the Padres in December. 31-year-old rookie. It's like a cute story, but I need to sell stars. Baseball, what's ba- you know, the – the biggest moments of our game now are a bunch of guys. Well, he was def- DFA'd, and then he was picked up here, and this guy was this random guy in the trade. You got a bunch of no-name guys factoring in the biggest moments of our playoff games. That's not that's not Steph Curry, LeBron James. That's not uh, Tom Brady up against Aaron Rodgers. This is nobody DFA'd picked up versus this guy traded. Who no- I mean. Star power sells in our country, and it worries me that we've got a game that's three-plus hours long. We can go pitch clock or not in the postseason, but you've got a bunch of rando guys who are the biggest factors in these games. Yeah, and, and you know, quite honestly, our, our A's are – kind of the prime example of that for the last couple decades you know um they you know they really haven't hung on to stars or um you know sold the team based on stars um you know they've kind of looked for those under the radar guys who are a little more low profile and uh quite honestly a little cheaper uh too and um you know uh, again that's just the way the game has gone i mean people like you and i can complain about it and remember the old days when we were kids watching the, the true stars of the game, but, um, you know, this is definitely the direction it's moved in and I don't, I don't see it changing, you know, and unless you're, uh, the Yankees or somebody, and you're going to, you know, pay $40 million a year to hang on to Aaron judge for the rest of his career or something, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, um, a, a bit more of a technocratic game really than, than it was, uh, when we were kids. Yeah, and that's uh, really – we're going to talk about this with Eno Saris a little bit later where we were following it last night on Twitter where they're talking about the the really advanced teams they've brought in. And I've gone over this where you can go to baseball job boards and right. the jobs that are open for front offices have nothing to do with baseball. It's all about, you know, what is your data-driven background. And you now got a bunch of PhDs in there, especially like the Dodgers, that they're looking at – people's anatomy right how you throw when the ball comes out of your hand and it comes down how does your ball cross home plate and the guy you're facing how he swings what's his swing like right is it is it more 
upswing, launch swing? Is he more of a flap through the zone? So, so they're now matching. Forget just righty-lefty matchups. They're matching up how your game works, your anatomy, and how you control the baseball versus how the hitter's swing plane is. That's kind of where we're, this is the next generation. So we'll see if that uh, intrigues people. We'll see. But let's get to your – I love these lists. It's the all-prospect list. This is like the all-team, right, the all-league team. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to go infield, outfield, pitchers, where you want to go? I'd say let's start with the infield because I think that's where things look most promising for the A's in the near future. Um, you know, you're referring to the article I have on uh, A's Farm right now, which looks at the 2022 postseason all-prospect team for the A's. I really wanted to look at the potential impact players for the A's at each position in the near future. And I think the infield is where things look the best. Look, just to, to go around now, quickly. Now, let's, let's be clear. You did the entire infield. You just didn't stop, like, at second base. You did no. the entire <laughs> job. We rounded the bases. Okay. We completely you rounded did, you the bases. You did the job. Just checking. You don't know these days. <laughs> So let's start. First of all, you know, we got Shay Langoliers as the catcher of the future. We got Tyler Soderstrom coming at first base. We got Zach Geloff will probably be here at second base by the end of next season. Okay. We got last year's first round draft pick Mac, Max Muncy a couple of years away at shortstop. And at third base, we've got either Kevin Smith coming back or Brett Harris, who had a tremendous season in the minor leagues this year. We can talk about any of those guys at great length if you want, but I think that's the future infield you're looking at. A Soderstrom at first, Zach Geloff at second, Max Muncie and Nick Allen are, are the big shortstops of the future, and then you've either got Kevin Smith or Brett Harris at third. Okay, so I've interviewed all of these kids, right? Cody, we've interviewed everyone. I mean, we had Max Muncie right out of high school. Yeah, we had Soderstrom out of high school. Uh, we've talked to Langoliers already. We talked to Geloff. We talked, yeah. We talked. We saw Geloff play in San Jose. Okay, the only guy I don't know much about, so he'd be the most intriguing to me because we were told Geloff's the future at third. Now it's second. No problem yep. with that. He's a bat. I don't care where he plays as long as he hits. Uh, who is Brett Harris, and why should I be excited by him? Uh, I'll tell you all about Brett Harris second, but I did want to mention Zach Galoff. Definitely, he's been playing second base every game in the Arizona Fall League, and he just hit two home runs in the game last night. That's after hitting five home runs in nine games at Las Vegas in September. He drives so, the, You know what I like about him, too, is just seeing the video, and we only get to see highlights. I like his ability to stay inside the ball and drive it to right center. That is a great sign. He lets the ball yeah. get deep, got power to right center. Obviously, he can pull it, but he's just not pull happy because we know you come up here and you're pull happy and that's all you can do. You're going to see so many sliders and you're going to strike out. I like the fact that we see him go the other way with the baseball. I think that's one thing about Geloff is he's, he's, a, he's a professional hitter, you know. I mean, he's got a good approach. He really knows how to handle the bat. Um, and that's what you like to see in a young player because a lot of times they're just a lot more raw as hitters at that point. But he seems to know what he's doing at the plate. That's why I think by, by late next year we will probably see Geloff in the A's infield. But Brett Harris, who you asked me about, is intriguing because he was the A's seventh-round draft pick last year. Hasn't gotten as much attention, but this season he had the third best batting average, the third best on base percentage, and the third best OPS 
among all A's minor leaguers with at least 300 at-bats this year. And uh, again, this was just his first season, um, a full season in pro ball after being drafted uh, last year. And, you know, he's good in the field at third base. Again, another professional hitter, has a good approach at the plate hit really well at double-A Midland, should have a shot at uh, Vegas triple-A this year. So if he gets off to a good start in triple-A, he could be, you know, in the A's uh, infield at the hot corner by the end of next season. He's also a little older. He's 24, so he's had a lot of college experience. Uh, he's been around. He, he knows how to play the game, and, and Bobby Crosby at Midland really raves about his approach. But also, if, if for any reason Brett Harris doesn't work out, Kevin Smith, we know what happened with him last year. But, you know, he really turned it on late in the season at AAA Vegas. He ended oh, up hitting yeah. <laughs> 11 home runs in 25 games in September. So there are a couple options there. Or either Brett Harris or Kevin Smith uh, could be at the hot corner for the A's uh, uh, next year. You know, at the end of the fifth, I always do a minor league report. And I, I read about, you know, certain things guys did uh, in, in, at every level. And it was like, Kevin's. it was like, is this real? It was like he was hitting a home run every game and going three for four. And he's a great guy. Kevin Smith, I remember interviewing him at spring training. Then we had him on the show again uh, before he was sent down. I mean, really the type of player, good guy that you really root for and very athletic, could play shortstop. So uh, do you think Kevin Smith? will be given the opportunity to be the third baseman with Brett Harris then is the option and maybe really quick the option coming up from Las Vegas. That's kind of how I see it playing out. I think they're going to give Kevin Smith every chance to win a roster spot again this spring. Um, you know, I think you'll probably end up seeing Kevin Smith and uh, Vimeo Machine on the roster to start the season. So you'll have a, a lefty and a righty third base option there. Then it just kind of depends on how their performance goes. You'll probably have Brett Harris at third base in Vegas, see how his performance goes. So you could have three potential options at the hot corner as the season unfolds uh, next year anyway. All right, so definitely you see Brett Harris as a big leaguer. Yeah, again, I think he's just – he's a smart player. He kind of – one of these guys that kind of does everything right, um, you know, has a lot of confidence in the field, uh, knows what he's doing. Again, not a high draft pick, but a seventh-round pick, so that's yeah. not bad. And uh, like I say, every every manager he's played for talks about, you know, what a great guy he is on the field, how he knows what he's doing, uh, knows how to play the game. And again, he's a little more advanced, had, had a lot of years in college ball. He's 24 now. I think he's a legitimate – uh, major league prospect at the at the worst he could potentially be you know a utility infielder anyway he also has played some second base but um, you know I, again I think he's a potential starter at third base and uh, if not he, he could be a useful uh, utility player in the infield as well well you know I mean you start looking at certain guys and you're like well we can't wait to see these guys and two of them are on your list and I know he's young I mean, Max Muncy's 20, but you start moving him up through the system. I mean, what do you start to think for him? I mean, does he start in double A or is he back in, you know, where, where, where do you think he starts next year? Is yeah, it you know, I mean, just so you know, he was he was 19 for most of the season. He just turned 20 a couple months ago. So, you know, he's he's still pretty fresh out of high school. So there's still time with him. I think he'll probably this is just my guess. He'll probably start the season at Lansing. Um, if you know, if he hits well there. Oh, look who's joined us. It's uh, uh, 
one of my felines. Um, nice. Uh, <laughs> she wants to get in on the act. Um, uh, I think uh, I think uh, Max Muncy will probably start the season at Lansing. If he gets off to a good start there, I think they'll very quickly move him up to Double A Midland. Um, but I think you know there's no rush on Muncy. I think they want to give Nick Allen every chance at shortstop. Obviously, we know how good Nick Allen is in the field. If he's able to develop with the bat just a little more, I mean, honestly. Allen can hit like 240. That's right around league average at this point in time, you know. So with his defense, he could be valuable there. So I think Muncy's probably still a couple years away with Nick Allen in that spot. But, um, you know, if he hits, they'll move him up. And if he's ready for the majors, you know, he'll be here sooner, sooner or later. And, and, you know, probably not too, too much later anyway. I know you're not going to be shocked by this, but I don't buy all the time what's being sold because I'm looking around the rest of Major League Baseball. I'm seeing 21, 22 all over the game. So that's why I say, hey, listen, I'm not looking at birth dates anymore. I'm not, I don't care about your birth certificate. Can you play or not? Can you help us? And if this kid, whether he goes to Lansing, Midland, if he goes and he hits and he continues to hit and he can field, I, okay, all right. But by the time he's 21, 22, if he can play, I'm not afraid. Let, let's go. Being young well, is not a bad thing. Well, you'll be happy to know that uh, Tyler Soderstrom will be turning 21 next month. Yes. So he'll be starting out next season as an aged vet the age of 21. And. And, uh, you know, I think it's entirely possible if he gets off to a good start and has some time in AAA where he's doing well this year that you could see him up with the A's late next season, sort of uh, around the time that Shea Langoliers came up maybe. And uh, he would just be a 21-year-old making his Major League debut if he debuts at any point before the end of next season. He he will be 21, so um, he could get a shot at a young age. But as I've mentioned to you before, I think he's most likely to be getting that shot at first base, um, you know, not as a catcher. Uh, the A's have plenty of catching options, again, particularly with Langoliers uh, ready to go there. But I think there's a good chance you could see a 21-year-old Tyler Soderstrom uh, playing some first base for the A's before the end of next season anyway. I think you'll agree with this. When he turns 21, the ID will say 21, but that bat's not 21. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he, he's definitely got an advanced bat for his age, especially the power. I mean, that's the great thing to see with him is the power is real. He led all A's minor leaguers in home runs. He had 29 home runs this year. And again, that was just as a 20-year-old. He hit way more home runs than anyone else in the A's system. And he wasn't playing in like crazy hitters parks, you know, for, for the most part or anything. So his power is real. Um, the one thing about him, though, is, you know, he's a left-handed hitter and he has had some trouble hitting left-handed pitching. I think he hit about 200 against left-handers this year, and the power doesn't really show up against left-handed pitchers uh, for him, but he really mashes those right-handed uh, pitchers. And again, at such a young age, to be able to you know show that power is, is great to see. Seth Brown said it this year, and I couldn't agree with him more when we started asking him, hey, you're starting here in the second half to hit lefties better. His answer was simple. They're allowing me to hit lefties. You don't learn to hit lefties at this level unless you get the opportunity. And if there's failures, that's okay. We're now in a point of we're still in the land of discovery. Let them play every day. Let them learn. At some point, when you've got an advanced bat, you'll figure that computer in your head, it's not the talent. It's the computer in his head. We'll start to figure it out. Make the adjustments. I, I am not worried about Soderstrom. I, you know, if his bat is as advanced as we think, 
Uh, he'll be here very soon, and he'll be in this lineup and hopefully for a long, long time. Let's go to the outfield. Uh, some interesting names, some in- interesting athleticism. Where do you want to start first? Well, let's talk talk about a couple of the, the younger players I've got in the outfield mix as future impact players for the A's, and that's uh, Denzel Clark and Lawrence Butler. They're both playing in the Arizona Fall League right now. Uh, they're both 22 years old. Uh, Butler is more of a, a right fielder uh, type, and uh, he's really hitting well in the Arizona Fall League. I think in his first six games, he's got two home runs, three doubles. He's hitting over 300. Um He had a a breakthrough season in the minors in 2021 where he really put himself on the map. And, you know, both these guys, Clark and Butler, have a combination of power and speed. And I I think Lawrence Butler in a couple of years could be the A's uh, right fielder. Um, And Denzel Clark, he was just drafted last year in the fourth round by the A's. He had a tremendous season at Lansing and Stockton this year. And um, he, he, I think he had maybe the fourth best OPS in the A's minor league system in his first full season of pro ball. He really has both power and speed. He stole 30 bases this last season. He hits home runs, he hits doubles, and he plays center field. Reminds me a little bit of a guy, I'm sure you'll remember the name anyway, Andre Dawson, you know, uh, a big guy who can play center field, has power, but also has speed. Again, they're both playing in the AFL for the A's right now, and that's usually where you like to put your, you know, your high-profile prospects. And uh, I think both those guys, they're probably the two most promising outfield prospects in the A's system right now. Again, they're both a little ways away because neither of them has played above high A yet. They're both 22, but they're both playing in the FL, getting experience there. And the A's really don't have many high-level um, outfield prospects at the top of this system. So I think Lawrence Butler and Denzel Clark are two of the most exciting outfield prospects to keep your eye on. Yeah, I'm not sure we need a guy like Andre Dawson. <laughs> Maybe uh, we'll give that a pass. No, yeah. no. <laughs> you can have your Tim Raines and Gary Carter and all those old expos. Uh, of course, the of course the Hall of Famer won his MVP with the Chicago Cubs. I bet you know what? Something that you definitely want to see is athleticism. You know, we want to see more athleticism. Athleticism leads to better defense, and we know. You know, we talk so much about home runs and getting on base that one of the hallmarks of Bob Bob Melvin teams that were good in Oakland was how good the defense was. Yeah, and as we know, the the defense wasn't that great this past season for the A's. Uh, Hopefully Nick Allen uh, being there all season can help out a bit, and hopefully uh, other moves will improve things a bit. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's some promising defensive guys, you know, um, in the system. I think Shea Langoliers is going to be a good defensive catcher. Uh, Denzel Clark has the potential to be a good defensive center fielder. Zach Geloff can play a good second base. I think Brett Harris and Kevin Smith both have the potential to be solid third baseman as well in the field so I I think the defense will be improving it's just when you've got such a young team like the A's had this year you know there's there's always going to be a lot of miscues with with you know kids that young on the team when I see Max at 25 I say ready to rock you're 25 yeah, you know, that's the, on my list. I included Max Schumann as a potential uh, left fielder. He's the only guy on my all prospect team who's not on MLB Pipeline's uh, top 30 uh, in terms of the position players on the list. But again, there aren't many 
top level outfield prospects in the A's system. So I put him in there because he's an intriguing guy. He's he's a bit older. He's 25, but he led the A's system in on-base percentage last year. He had an on-base percentage over 400. And over the course of the last two seasons, he's stolen a total of, I think, 76 bases. So the guy gets on base, he steals bases, and he scores runs. And he's played all over the field. He's played every position besides pitcher and catcher. So, you know, he's a guy with kind of a thin outfield crop in the a, at the top of the A system right now who could potentially at some point next year get a shot to, to be in the outfield mix anyway. I'd like to see him get a shot. He's, um, you know, he's played his butt off every team he's been on. Uh, Bobby Crosby, you know, loved having him at Midland this year. He's a real gamer who's really improved himself after being drafted in the 20th round a, a few years ago. And I, I'd love to get a, see him get a shot in the A's outfield or as a versatile sort of a Ben Zobrist a utility type of player. All right, let's go to the two pitchers you have. We we uh, interviewed Chriswell at the University of Michigan mm. when he was uh, – it was great. He was at his draft party with his head coach. We had him on. It was a lot of fun. And and, and Hogan Harris, tell us about these two pitchers. So Jeff Chriswell was the second-round draft pick a couple years ago. They took him right after Tyler Soderstrom in 2020. And Chriswell always had great stuff at Michigan, throws hard. It, command was just an issue with him. You know, he wasn't always sure where the ball was going. He'd walk a lot of guys. But this year, he made big improvements in that. And uh, he had the second most strikeouts in the A's minor league system. He struck out an average a little over nine batters per nine innings. He threw almost 120 innings, which, which is a lot for minor league pitchers these days. So he was healthy. He was solid. He had improved command. And he's got he can strike guys out, you know, he's got the stuff. So I think, you know, in terms of right-handed pitchers, Jeff Criswell is the next one to keep an eye on. He should be in the Vegas rotation next season. And then the other guy, left-hander Hogan Harris is really intriguing. The A's drafted him a few years ago in the third round, but you know, he was hurt. He's had so many injuries. He, I don't think he'd even pitched 70 innings since he'd been drafted by the A's a few years ago, but this year he was healthy. He was on the mound. He made it all the way from high A to double A to triple A Vegas and struck bridge of almost 13 guys per nine innings. You know, this guy definitely has the stuff. He's a big, strong left-hander who throws hard and he's finally healthy. And I think, um, you know, next season, the A's rotation, I think, is pretty well set for next year if everybody's healthy. You've got Cole Irvin, Paul yeah. Blackburn, James Caprillion, J.P. Sears, and Ken Waldachuk. But as we know, there's always injuries. Something always happens. Most teams don't just need five starting pitchers. They usually end up using 10 over the course of 13. the season. The average yeah, now yeah. is 13. You know, that's what happens now. So you've got your starting five. That's great. But you need another half dozen down at AAA, too. And I think Jeff Criswell and Hogan Harris are maybe the two guys who certainly if they get off to good starts in Vegas, you'll see plugged in when an opening arises. But then you've also got guys, you know, probably at Vegas this year, like uh, uh, Adam Aller and Adrian Martinez and Zach Logue and maybe Jared Kennig and uh, um, guys like that as well. But I think I think Criswell and Harris are the two that haven't made their major views yet that could be you know, potential impact pitchers um, in the future when the openings arise for the A's. Quickly, Gann Hogland, where do you see them? 
Uh, Ginn, is, Ginn is pitching in the uh, AFL right now. I think he's pitching today, actually. Um, so he's healthy again, which is good. Uh, a guy you didn't mention, Ryan Cusick, who the A's also acquired last year and kind of like Ginn had a lot of injury issues. He's had a couple starts in the AFL and he's pitched really well um, in his two starts in the AFL. So I think Cusick's um, really a little, just a little ahead of Ginn right now, but they're both healthy. They're both pitching in the Arizona Fall League. They're both pitching well. So that's great to see. Um, uh, Hoagland, uh, we're probably going to have to wait to see him in action, you know, until spring training. He had a, he came back, pitched like a game or two for Stockton and, and then had a little hiccup and, you know, was sidelined again. Um, but, you know, we'll, we're just going to have to wait and see um, where he's at health wise once he gets on the mound next spring. But it's good to see Cusick and Ginn both healthy again, both pitching well uh, in the AFL. So if those guys remain healthy, they'll put themselves on the map and in the mix before long, too. Great stuff. Keep your phone on. We're going to call you soon because we want to know everything these young guys are doing in the Arizona Fall League. Great. Absolutely. Happy to talk to you anytime, Tony. All right, buddy. Great work as always. Thank you. Athleticsfarm.com. Up next, we head to San Diego. Scott Miller, longtime MLB columnist, friend of the program, and an update from the Bronx. Next, right here on A's Cast Live. We'd like to thank Jim Callis from MLB.com and MLB Pipeline, Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic, and from the A's Farm Report, Bill Moriarty. That'll do it for A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 